You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Milwaukee. Also the Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Horicon, which is not so far away from my hometown of Slinger, uh, just over on Highway 33 as I spit out some local knowledge for for anyone really interested in the small towns of Wisconsin that happen to be in about a 30-minute radius of my own hometown, which would... I would guess be one of you, uh, but shout out to all of you uh, for putting up with me uh, talking about affiliates. I know our good friend Justin, who puts out many Wisconsin sports memes. He's not just Bucks memes anymore because today he photoshopped Jason Kidd onto Mike McCarthy's face, I think, uh, if I remember correctly. <laughs> he said he did uh, enjoy uh, getting to hear about small towns in Wisconsin, so I'm happy to give those to you. Um, and I will need to make my way out to the ESPN Horror Con affiliate in the near future. But for now, I'm just Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks Porter at ES- ESPN Milwaukee. And joining me, as he always does, is my good friend and the founder of BrewHoop.com, Frank Madden. Frank! How you doing, buddy? Uh, I'm I'm good, Eric. I uh, I do think we want to we got to mention the Milwaukee Brewers, don't we? I mean, we we just gave yes the Packers a shout out uh, before we mentioned the Milwaukee Brewers. Who uh, for those who are not American sports fans, the Brewers uh, just won a playoff series and are going to the National League Championship Series, so uh, they will be one of the final four teams in uh, the baseball playoffs, which is super exciting. And they're just it's insane. They're a super likable team too. Like that's it's not <sighs> just. It's not just like a, a good team, but they're just so likable. Um, and I don't know, like just watching watching them this past week, just sort of like really underscore like, man, I want this team to win a World Series so badly. And obviously in baseball, unlike basketball, um, you know, everybody in the playoffs kind of has a chance. And the, and the Brewers are obviously right now, uh, they won 11 straight. And it's just like, can you get hot at the right time and stay hot? And again, long way to go before, uh, before you can win a World Series. But um yeah a lot of excitement in wisconsin sports right now um and they're just like so like they're this super fun team which is great they have like insane just kind of fun personalities they have like an mvp candidate they have this 38 year or is he 39 i don't know this old ass catcher who was like out of the league and now he's gone he's gotten five hits in the last two games and has huge rbis and was like legitimately out of baseball and you know david stearns just like picked him up and now he's this awesome story and then speaking of david stearns they're doing this thing where they don't like actually have starting pitchers that go deep into games and they're just like screw it we know what we're doing we were going to find the inefficiency and got baller relief pitchers and they go with young guys out of the bullpen that are going to be starters one day to get some outs. And I don't know, they're just, 
I'm they're just a really fun team to follow. So I will fully cop to catching Brewer Fever um, this past season and uh, spending three of the last four days watching a whole lot of Brewers baseball. I, I went to games one and games two. I got to take my parents to games two to game two, which was awesome, um, which is something I've never done before. I've never been to a playoff game with my parents. So that was pretty cool. Uh, and then they picked up the sweep uh, winning game three in Colorado on Sunday. So yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy and it's kind of t- it's not kind of, it's totally awesome. Like it's, it's cool to see a, a team in Milwaukee have that kind of, have that kind of season. Yeah, we'll see. And, uh, certainly the Bucks did no, uh, made no attempt to, um, steal the spotlight tonight. Uh, we had, we had an incredible, um, I guess, uh, triple header teed up today. Uh, the Packers at noon, uh, who lost want, want brewers who won at three starting at three thirty central time and then the bucks at seven o'clock and it was going to be such a fun way to to cap the day and then we had confirmation that uh indeed there was going to be no video of this game whatsoever uh from either the bucks or or wolf side it's it took place in des moines iowa the bucks winning in des moines iowa we kind of buried the lead i guess a little bit here but you know the, the lead was sufficiently buried by the lack of tv and difficulty in even getting a radio broadcast the Bucks did win a preseason game tonight 125-107 over the Timberwolves um but yeah i i guess the only people who could listen to the even the audio broadcast were um people i think within like a 75 mile radius of Milwaukee uh like it was really it was on, yeah somebody tweeted i forget who somebody tweeted me at that cuz i i was trying to listen to the to the audio broadcast it was on uh, KTI 94.5 uh, in Milwaukee because of all the other sporting events happening today. I guess I think 620 was carrying the, the Brewers game, obviously. So um, it was on an alternate station and yeah, you couldn't stream it outside of Wisconsin, I guess, or maybe even outside of the metro Milwaukee area. So I was even denied my, uh, my, my constitutional right Oof. to Ted Davis. So I was very displeased about that. Um, so yes, we were left to just sort of play by play watch and Twitter watches. Uh, Matt Velasquez and Jim Paschke and Katie George from the Bucks uh, were the only ones who uh, really were giving us any any actual tweets from the game itself. Uh, and and Jim and Katie were uh, mostly, uh, as as our group friends put it, faux beefing um, as they sat next to each other. There was a uh, th- that trio was sitting there and trying to give us some updates. Um, so yeah, there was a, I gotta say, I would have hated to be, to have that responsibility at that game because like, I don't, re- I try, I try really hard not to play by play tweet. If that makes any sense. Like, I don't like the, like, Oh, this one thing happened. Um, I prefer to like, if I'm at a game, think about things more broadly and try to like point out like, Oh, on that play, this happened or something like that. Um, something like beyond what would just be like kind of box score information. But today, like box score information would have been very helpful. And I would have been like conflicted trying to figure out what to actually kind of tweet about this. Yeah, and so uh, I think we'll just say this will be probably a, a shorter podcast because obviously we uh, we we don't have our own eyes uh, and even ears to really speak to what happened. <laughs> uh, but the Bucks win. Hey, that's good. Um, and obviously we we you know uh, I I was uh, 
play-by-play watching and, and following on Twitter. Um, so I think, you know, the high-level takeaway is the Bucks once again have a big offensive night. They racked up a 122 offensive rating, even better than the other night. Um, 13 out of 36 from three. So, I mean, they didn't shoot, um, you know, as many threes. Uh, they shot marginally better uh, from three than they did uh, in the previous game, just 10 turnovers, um, 28 of 36 from the file line. And there were a ton of fouls. Uh, that I think most of Katie George's tweets were referencing the, uh, <laughs> the massive number of fouls, uh, 30 fouls from the Bucks, 27 from the Wolves, the Bucks Remember, they just had 12, which would have been the lowest number they had all of last year um, in the previous game. They chalk up 30 in this game. So, so much for the Mike Budenholzer. God is going to be pissed. <laughs> so much for the uh, Mike Budenholzer is going to stop them from fouling all the time. Um, but, you know, ultimately, obviously, uh, you win this game pretty handily. Um, the Wolves had a monster night from Carl Towns, 33 points in 28 minutes, but really not not a whole lot else. And the Bucks get a nice bounce effort. Giannis, uh, slow start. I think he was one out of 0 for 4 and one out of 6, I think, in the first half. Um, but he finishes with 21 points, 10 boards, 2 assists, 2 steals, a block, 8 out of 15 from the field. So uh, I guess after the first half, he was 7 out of 9. Um, hit a 3 in the second half, um, 4 out of 6 from free throws. Um, the two the two misses were his last two. I felt, you know, uh, you know, like in Star Wars when there's like somebody feels like a disturbance in the force and this like they just like, oh, something's happened. That's like me when Giannis somewhere in the world misses two free throws, even if I don't see it, I can just feel it in my soul. Just uh, uh, no. Miss free throws for Giannis. Um but uh better than his shooting at the five, I think what was he, four out of ten the other night or something? So four out of six, yeah. I guess I guess it's better. And twenty one and and 10 and two and two and one in 27 minutes. Um, Giannis uh, continuing to be Giannis like plus 11. Um, Middleton didn't shoot as well. Four out of 11, just one out of five from three, but um, 13 points plus six in 27 minutes. Uh, Brogdon, 12 points on nine shots. Bledsoe, seven points on six shots. So he didn't do a whole lot, but three assists. Did have three turnovers as well. And and really, you kind of just go up and down the box score. Like everybody but Pat Connaughton, um, or Pat Connaughton was the only guy who had a negative rating. So I think that was probably the the takeaway of this game. The Wolves were able to kind of keep it respectable so long as Towns and company were in the game. Um, but the Bucks and their depth, um, you know, I think that was probably the, the, the biggest positive here is when the Bucks went to their bench, uh, especially in the second half. They, they did not get overrun. And, um, my my dude, Christian Wood, 14 points on five out of nine shooting, hit a three, six boards, three assists, and a steal in 21 minutes. He was the beneficiary of, um, I know Thon Maker and personally Silver were both on the injury report with um, minor injuries. They were both probable. Neither of them played, so that opened up some minutes. And Wood, I think, played mostly the four, although I do believe he played center down the stretch. He got a few minutes, I think, with, with Giannis uh, together, and... I think I want to talk about this in a moment. I'll, I'll give you a chance to chime in here just based on, you know, if you have any other observations from the the box score. But um, I do want to talk a little bit about the just the the big man rotation, because um, we've talked a lot about the competition for spots. But I think that's also interesting, just like especially with all these bigs in the roster. Like, I mean, we have not seen much like we haven't seen any like true like small ball lineups. I think tonight there were nine minutes where neither Lopez, who played 18 minutes, Zeller, who played six or Henson, who played 15, uh, were on the court. Uh, and I think those were the end of the game when Wood was in, so Wood was playing center. But other than that, like, really not not really seeing the Bucks like, 
experiment much with a small lineup. So I think that'll be interesting. It's an interesting topic, which we've talked a fair bit about. And so far, we're not really seeing the Bucks even really try to do anything like that. Um, and tonight, obviously, with Ursan and Thon out, um, fewer big guys to even work into the rotation. But um, but yeah, I think Tony Snell, three out of three from three, had 12 points. So that was nice. And Dante DiVincenzo, a.k.a. Secret Dante. Uh, 12 points, but on five out of 12 shooting, one out of four from three. So he has finally Secret hit a three. three. Secret threes. Um, <laughs> of course, he hit a three in a game that was not televised. Um, and just one out of four from the free throw line, though. So that's not, not great. Uh, I did not feel that uh, like a force disturbance because I don't, <laughs> I'm not that. I'm not that emotionally close to Dante DiVincenzo at this point. Um, <laughs> but, the, and he was the first, uh, he was the, I believe the first guy off the bench, which is becoming a theme. And he was though a plus 16. So at least the Bucks were effective with him in, uh, on the floor. He didn't have any assists this time around after his nice passing game last time around, but um, he is getting minutes. Sterling Brown also returned from that injury, two out of six from the fi- from the field, uh, eight points uh, in 15 minutes. And, I'll just pause here because we probably don't really. Oh, John Henson did a three, hit a three. So there's your other random weird thing that happened. <laughs> I, I don't know. Is, is there any other statistical thing that we need to read off of <laughs> this this box score for people before we start talking about it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's uh, there's a couple different things in there that that are kind of interesting, and I, I was going to say just the personal fouls one to me seems noteworthy let's say um not because oh my gosh you can't follow during the preseason it's just such a, a point of emphasis for mike boonholzer that i would have loved to get to see that game to figure out you know just how you manage to pick up 30 fouls in, in a game because it, it is a significant number so i would be curious to know kind of how all of that happened and again a a bunch of those fouls. I'm just kind of adding those up in my head uh, real quick, but I think, t- I mean, six from Henson, four from Frazier, four from DiVincenzo, uh, three from Connaughton, and two from Snell. Like, that's, what, 19 from the bench mob uh, that play, like, a larger amount of minutes. And, I mean, the starters managed to stay largely out of foul trouble other than Giannis. So I would be curious what that's all about because, you know, that's a it's a big deal to Mike Boonholz, or at least it has been uh, thus far uh, up until this point. So I'd be very curious to know kind of how all of that happened. Um, I would guess we'll never actually know um, why it happened because there will never be video of this game. Um, So unless someone manages to post a game together through Instagram stories of people that were at the game uh, that took it 10 seconds at a time, I don't I don't think that's gonna that's gonna ever really come out. So I, I would be interested to know a little bit more about that. And I guess just some of the other things that stand out was uh, I mentioned this to you before we started recording, but it was just like, is Dante Divincenzo being the first sub going to be a thing? Like, is that is that what we're going to see once the regular season starts? Because uh, I'm. I'd be interested to know if that's the case uh, just because I'm not sure that I was thinking Dante DiVincenzo was going to do that, but you know, that's certainly, that certainly could be possible. So I'd be fascinated to know if that would happen. And uh, just after that first preseason game, there was so many, so many of the players talked about how they tell him all the time that he needs to shoot it. And um, (laughs) the, the thing that goes through my mind is, 
uh, white men, white men can't jump where Sidney Dean's like, you know, you can pull a couple of passes out your ass, but like in my mind, I'm thinking through, okay, Dante DiVincenzo can pass, but can he actually score? Because, you know, that will actually mean something. Like if everyone figures out that all you're going to do is make the extra pass, well, then they're going to stop covering you. Uh, so at some point, we will have to see him make shots. Obviously, it's good that uh, we did get a secret Dante three. Um, it's good that we got one of those tonight, but you know, I think at some point that that shot's gonna have to become a little bit more real. So uh, that'll be that'll be kind of fun to watch. And I, I guess just some other things that I think through is, you know, seeing Tony Snell go three for four probably a good thing. Um, it, but it speaks to something even larger, I think, in that I don't. I think Tony Snell is going to be a, a really interesting ta- like case study in that, you know, Mike Boonholzer doesn't owe him anything. He wasn't there when he got his contract. He wasn't a part of signing him to that contract. Uh, he wasn't part of the coaching staff that resurrected him from uh, just not being an NBA player when he was with the Bulls to what he is now. Um, so like they have no skin in the game with Tony Snell. So, you know, does, does Mike Boonholzer and his staff care about getting Tony Snell involved? Uh, if he isn't making nice passes and he isn't able to handle a little bit and he isn't able to play, make a little bit like, you know, does he, he bumped down on that bench and, uh, Sterling Brown's first uh, appearance in the preseason tonight as well. So, you know, how does how does all of that time on the wing kind of sort out? And I guess just the fact that we're having these conversations speaks to the Bucks' overall depth because you brought up the big rotation as well. Like, what are you going to do with all these bigs? What are you going to do with all these wings? And uh, I, I think it's those are two good questions to ask because I don't think we know. I don't I don't really think we have any idea. And that that's just kind of what our experience is going to be like this year. Like I, I always, or I shouldn't say always, but for the last couple of weeks, I'll have people ask questions about, Oh, what does this mean for Mike Boonholzer? Um, what does this mean about Mike Boonholzer? What does this mean? His philosophy or strategy is. And it's just like, no, I, I mean, I can, I can only guess like, I, I can do my research and know kind of what they ran in Atlanta and I can know how he kind of operates as a coach, but I've never seen it in day in day out. Like I, I think last year, both of us felt very comfortable with just about everything the Bucks were going to do every single night because we'd seen it. Jason Kidd had been there for three years going into last year, so we knew what he was about, and that's just not going to be the case with Mike Boonholzer. So, um, they, there's so much stuff to try to start out in my head, and it really does not help that I didn't see any of tonight's game because attempting to figure those things out from a box score is extremely difficult to do. Yeah, um, let me. I guess I'll take the, the the guard rotation first. I mean, Brogdon starting is like kind of like just logically speaking, probably a great sign for Dante Divincenzo because. If Snell had retained that position as the starter, then it, you know Snell is obviously much more of a direct competitor with Dante for minutes than Brogdon, right? You know Brogdon's going to get minutes um, regardless. Um, and, and you know, again, like you can say, Bud doesn't owe anything to 
pretty much anybody like, we, you know, but the only guy in this kind of discussion that, that Bud really has, you can argue has a connection to is DiVincenzo, right? Because we know that mm-hmm. he was a fan of drafting him. Everyone else pretty much like, I mean, we have no idea, right? Like they were just here when, when Budenholzer got here. You would assume obviously that he likes Brogdon. The fact that he's starting Brogdon certainly suggests that he wants him more involved. Um, Snell at thus far, obviously would seem to be a guy who is projecting to be a loser out of this just because he's not starting. And he obviously started most of last year. Um, and it knocks Snell kind of into that discussion with, you know, not just DiVincenzo, but also Pat Connaughton. Um, and, and, you know, where, where do all these guys kind of shake out? I think Connaughton and Snell sort of are maybe the most like for like in terms of offense, just being more of just sort of like shooters who don't do a whole lot else. Um, I don't know enough about Connaughton's defense at this point to say that he's as good as Snell. I mean, again, Snell's not fantastic, but he's, you know, certainly versatile. Um, but it seems like, you know, sort of the way it's shaking out is um, that Budenholzer does seem to be comfortable with the idea, at least, of giving DiVincenzo a run is um, at times even we've seen him be like, the you know, like the nominal point guard on the floor, which um, yep. I certainly am skeptical. You'll see a lot in the regular season, especially because Del Vadova has been hurt these first couple games. Um, we'll see what Delhi's health looks, looks like and, you know, how much of a factor he is in the rotation. Um, so lots to kind of, kind of play around with here, but yeah, I think Brogdon starting does, um, Brogdon starting and DiVincento seeming to be kind of the, the teacher's pet so far. Um, obviously <laughs> leaves, leaves kind of Connett and, and Snell maybe competing for more peripheral minutes. Now Snell, it seems like is, is kind of slotting more into like the back of small forward role. And he's obviously the tallest of, uh, of those guys. Um, probably the most defensively versatile and able to play, you know, defend kind of bigger wings um a bit better than than you know Connaughton or, or DiVincenzo so so maybe that's just what Dante DiVincenzo is like maybe he's just the 10 to 15 minute you know backup Tony Snell or backup uh Chris Middleton and occasionally put a little bit of two type guy but again we'll see I mean these things tend to be fluid over the course of a season um as far as the bigs go I mean if you had told us in the spring that the next Bucks coach would pretty much always play a traditional big man never switch anything um, would even use Thon as a power forward in his first preseason game. I would say, wow, that doesn't sound like a guy I want as my head coach. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I wanted to bring that up because, like, you know, obviously the Bucks have, you know, crushed in these first couple of games. They've scored a ton of points. So, I mean, again, like, if if they like are a, an offensive juggernaut, then I'm not going to worry about Thon Maker spending time at power forward. Um, but in the grand scheme of the universe, you know, we've talked at length about how we think Thon at the floor is, is offensively just a bad idea. He just doesn't have the skill set, um, the ball handling passing, um, to, to, you know, be maximized as a four. Um, and, and I, I think when push comes to shove, I just don't think there's gonna be minutes there for him anyway with, with Giannis and Ursan, obviously. Um, but it, it is a little bit interesting because you just sort of look at this way this team is constructed. I mean, if they're going to play, you know, Henson seems to be a pretty, you know, active part of this team Henson started the second half against the Bulls he played well in that game um his box score line was very respectable again tonight nine points four boards three assists a steal two blocks and that three-pointer um tonight uh I don't know how much Towns beat up on him versus the other big men obviously so who knows right but um but it seems like Lopez and obviously Lopez is going to start Henson has not fallen out of the center rotation by any stretch. Um, and so I don't know. I mean, I just look at the way Bud likes to play. I mean, you know, they seem to be pretty, pretty consistently like just zone dropping kind of conservative vanilla pick and roll defense in that first game. Um, so if you're not going to be a switching team uh, and you have a bunch of guys at center who are more consistent than fun, then I mean, 
does Thon Maker have any role in this team? Is, is Thon Maker going to be maximized even if he does play center? Like, I, I don't think so. Um, I'm, you know, again, you obviously have a better coaching staff, so you hope that that helps. But um, I, I think if, if I was going to just give like my knee jerk, like people who I think have, you know, better chances versus worse chances, especially relative to a year ago, um, I'd say Snell and Thon Maker could be, could be losers uh, <laughs> in terms of like minutes yep. and, and opportunity. Um and obviously we've got, you know, still a couple of preseason games and then a long season when, you know, again, everybody likely will get a chance, but, but certainly looking at the tea leaves, um, those guys maybe don't project to have as obvious of roles or, or as obvious of, of fits in the system, which as we've talked about, you know, this system does seem to emphasize, you know, people doing more stuff, um, you know, not being so hyper-specialized as being kind of just like, oh, stand in the corner and shoot threes. There's a lot of standing in the corner and shooting threes, but you also need to be able to, you know, take a handoff, give a handoff, you know, make a pass to a cutter, things like that. And obviously that might not be good news for Tony Snell and Thon Maker. So um, it's going to be interesting to see. And the other, the other point, I think on the big man stuff, I mean, there's so many bigs on this roster. It's like, I mean, you don't really need to go small, obviously by necessity with, with the way that these guys play and, you know, playing like the Wolves isn't going to be like a real good metric of a, or a good way to measure, you know, your small ball lineup. Um, but I mean, you're not going to beat the Celtics playing Brooke Lopez 30 minutes and John Henson 18 minutes, right? Like, I don't believe that. I, I, I think, especially with Horford um, being able to play on the perimeter and um, the way that he moves. I think you're going to need to be able to play smaller lineups with like Giannis and a, and you know, whether it's Ursan or something like that, or just or maybe wait, a, just wait. Lineup. So is Giannis and Ursan a small lineup? I would consider it a smaller lineup. Yeah. Cause you don't have a traditional. Well, Cause that, that played in the first game. Uh, but not, I, I don't think they played as, as a four or five combo. They played as a yes, three, four did. combo with. Okay. I, I remember that. I remember they were on there with, they're out there with Lopez as well when they were, had that jumbo lineup in the second quarter. But um, cause to me, that's probably what you'll need to be able to run right against some of these yeah. teams or even like Toronto, right? Like Toronto, if they run out with like Siakam at center or something like that, um, you yeah. know, again, it's, it's going to be interesting to watch, but, um, so it's going to be, I'm curious to see how they, uh, how Bud even tries to run some of these lineups. Cause like he needs to make decisions on these centers. So I don't really blame him for not you know throwing Giannis in at center all the time. Cause he's got kind of stuff he has to figure out with wood and, and Zeller and, you know, Stone and, and Henson and geez, like the list goes on and on. But, um, but it's a, definitely an interesting question. Cause as we talked about the end of last season, like, you know, like if you're competing for a championship, if you want to beat like the Warriors, but potentially even like the Celtics um, and maybe the Raptors, like you, you may need to switch a ton. Like that may be your optimal strategy. And it's, I don't think that's the way you're going to win necessarily in the regular season, or you don't need to do that to win all the time in the regular season. But um, you know, if you are kind of, gunning for for the highest levels of teams um obviously that's been a trend the last couple of years yeah i think it's just kind of interesting and um this last week matt moore wrote something over at the action network about Giannis and kind of his mvp chances and as him and i were talking about the bucks and just kind of what they're about we ended up stumbling upon Thon and uh, just kind of the idea of, okay, is he going to be good? Is he not going to be good? Is he going to get minutes? Is he not going to get minutes? And I kind of mentioned the idea that, you know, like Thon is much better when he's switching. Like that's just, just kind of how it is. So I, I kind of expected that, you know, when he was on the floor that they would do some of that. And Matt kind of brought up the, 
the question that I think is really important to this, and I'm going to phrase it differently than him. So apologies, uh, apologies to Matt for not doing it as, uh, as intelligently as he did, but it's just kind of the idea of if a guy's only useful in one very hyper-specific role, is he useful? And I had to think through it for a little bit because I think it's it's an incredibly valid question because he was certainly useful in the Celtics series. There's no doubt about it. Again, that skill set was very useful. And it's a skill set you're talking about. It's the idea that, you know, to beat some of those teams, you're going to have to switch. And Thon can be a perfect weapon for that. But I don't, I didn't think going into the year, and I don't think now that switching is going to be a big part of Mike Boonholzer's defense. Like, I just don't, I don't think that's a way that he has played defense really ever. So I, I don't foresee that being a big thing that they do. Now, once you get into a postseason match or once you get into a series in the playoffs and, uh, you know, you're going to scout and figure out ways to stop teams. Are the Bucks going to switch? Yes, I do think the Bucks are going to switch. But then it's just like, oh, let me go back into this case and dust off this vintage Thon maker I have here um, and throw him into the game. Like, I don't know. If, I don't know if you can do that. So, uh, I mean, I think it's it's going to be really interesting to see with Thon just how useful of a player he can be uh, when you think of Mike Boonholzer and the way that he, I think, kind of envisions basketball. I have questions, and I think it would be fair for just about anyone to have questions. Tony Snell, I I don't know if I'm as concerned about. It's just going to be uh, it's going to be really difficult for someone who's had such a, a low usage to kind of entirely change the way that they they play. But I mean, I think. Tony Snell can do enough uh, to kind of fit in. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be the best fit in starting a bunch of games, but I do think he he at least has a, a little bit broader skill set that I, I think he can fit in in ways that Thonmaker can. And yeah, I mentioned it last week, but you know the idea of breakout season Thonmaker like well, seems. I don't want to say more and more far-fetched because he didn't even play tonight, but just thinking about how this Bucks team has played, it, it does seem a, a little bit further fet, far-fetched than than it did earlier. So uh, I don't really know. And I'll, also, I thought you brought up a good point about you know there's just a ton of bigs on this lineup, and there's a ton of there's just a ton of players that are are capable on this lineup, and it it really came up to me in kind of hit me in the face during that first preseason game. I was talking to Jack Maloney from CBS sports and he just like looked at me at the end of the bulls game. And he was like, look at, look at these two rosters. And I think the bulls at that point had like Archie Diacono, uh, I think Felicio, man, I'm trying to think who else it was, but it was, it was essentially five dudes that, they're not NBA players. And at the time, the Bucks had DiVincenzo, Connaughton, uh, Tim Frazier, maybe, um, John Henson or Tyler Zeller and Christian Wood. And it was like, shit, those are those are five NBA players. And those are the Bucks 11 through 15 for the night. 
And I mean, I, that was a, a moment where, yeah, the bulls suck. Like, don't get me wrong. Um, but that's what depth looks like. <laughs> 11 through 15 on your roster can actually look like, you know, a sizable advantage over another team's final five guys. Like that's, that's kind of where you can see depth. Yeah. And I mean, I think the most important thing in preseason is, you know, like, does your starting lineup, you know, are you winning like the first and third quarters? Because that's, those are the guys who maybe don't play as much in a preseason game. Cause you're, you know, looking at more bench guys, but the guys who are obviously going to play the majority of the minutes in the regular season. And so obviously I think what, Giannis was plus 34 and Chris plus 39 against the Bulls. So, so there was no issue with yeah. those guys. Um, and tonight, um, you know, again, the starters were, were a plus, not as massively as uh, as against the Bulls. Um, but tonight it was interesting because, I mean, the, the bench was all generally positive as well. And they, you know, they had some issues again in the first half um, when Towns especially was killing. Um, I think he played the most minutes of anybody on either team in the first half. In the first half, he played 18 minutes. At tibs. Tibs going to Tibs. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but over the course of the game, you know, we saw the Bulls or the Bucks' depth was better than the Wolves' depth, which, again, shouldn't be surprising. And that's a positive, right? Like, and, and I think that's a big question. I mean, we talked about, I think I, think I mentioned, I think it was like uh, out of the eight lineups the Bucks had last year that had 100-plus possessions together, like seven of them were, were had positive net ratings. The only one that had a negative was a Jabari lineup, which isn't shocking just because obviously Jabari hasn't, hasn't you know, contributed to winning basketball. Um, so, you know, again, like generally the Bucks, like the lineups that the Bucks played the most were actually good. They were positive. Like they they outscored the other guys. Um, you know, say what we will about obviously Jason Kidd and we say a lot. Um, but, you know, by and large, like it's not like they played like you know, some horrible lineups that were terrible and couldn't couldn't play um, tons and tons of minutes. Uh, but once you got out of kind of the, the the most frequently used lineups and you got into kind of just the random lineups that kid would throw out there, everything fell apart. Right. And again, like it's natural for yeah. a team that your more random lineups are going to be your less successful ones. Right. Because like, that's just the way it is. Your your starters and iterations of that are going to be better. Um, but obviously this year, I mean, if you're like kind of B team guys can be thrown out there with, you know, one or two starters and keep it even or actually build leads. That's a big differentiator. I mean, that that's, that's certainly part of the way that you go from being um, a 44 win team with a 40 win point differential to a 50 win team. And we saw last year, I mean, the yep. were obviously a plus team when Giannis and, and Bledsoe and Middleton were on the court. Um, but, you know, Giannis and Bledsoe in particular, they had those really big on-off differentials, right? Like the Bucks were, I think, what, about nine points better when both guys, you know, for each of them, plus nine when they were on versus off. So you go from being a good team to a bad team. And so obviously we'll see how it shakes out. I mean, you're going to be better when Giannis is on the court versus when you're off the court. But, I mean, if you can be, like, passable, like – not bad when Giannis is off the court, um, which ironically they were two years ago. Um, then that opens up a lot because I think especially with the way we're seeing this team kind of come together with Giannis on the court, I think early indications would make you think that they're going to be damn good with Giannis on the court. So I think these are those kind of things that again, like at this point, very circumstantial after two preseason games. Um, but look, I mean, we've watched this team, right? Like I think in the past preseasons, we kind of got used to like the bucks looking okay at times with the starters. And then like, you know, they just got killed by on the benches and it was like, Oh, well it's just preseason, blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> but it's like, yeah, I mean, this just isn't a very well coached team. So when your random dudes are out there, they're not going to do that. <laughs> well, so, yep. um, you know, again, two games in 
uh, you don't want to make too much out of it, but uh, you certainly hope that that this is an indication that the Bucks are just you know the kind of team that can hopefully beat up on bad teams, and you know especially some of the bench bench guys. Like there's a lot of guys who I think are NBA players on that bench, as you pointed out, and um, you're not going to play 15 guys over the course of regular season consistently, um, but hopefully you're going to have enough depth that that your second units can be effective. And then if you do have injuries and inevitably you will have some injuries that you're going to have some guys who can, you know, kind of plug and play into the rotation and hopefully you don't miss a whole lot. Yeah, I I would agree. Um, I I don't have a whole lot more to add other than, you know, I've mentioned a couple of times that I think this team is winning 50 games and not only do I think they're going to win 50 games, I think they're going to look like a team with a point de- differential that should win 50 games. <laughs> like there, there's not going to be, Oh, how did this anomaly occur? Like, I just think w- when you kind of think about them and you think about the roster, you think about the depth, I think you just see a team that is built to have a, a regular season. And, uh, or a solid regular season. And when you think about some of the teams that have always kind of either shown up better in projections or, um, you know, kind of played well and racked up a bunch of regular season wins. Like I I think a lot of the time you see well-coached teams. I think a lot of times you see teams that have a a lot of depth and uh, I think you see teams that can beat bad teams. And uh, I think, or at least I would hope that this team is is not going to have the need for a 44-point Giannis game against the Bulls on a random December evening. Like, it should be a system win, and you get them in and out, and you take care of business, and that's it. And I think you're going to see some more of that this year. But again, like you said, you don't want to be too high after after two preseason games but when some of the thoughts that you had before the season get in not confirmed but supported by preseason games then i think you feel a little bit better about those predictions and that's kind of where i am right now but that is going to be it for us for today for Frank Men i'm Eric Name hopefully we'll see some highlights or um hear some very vivid uh, descriptions of the game. Um, but the Bucks play again on Tuesday, so we should be all good there. Um, and then we'll actually be able to hopefully see some basketball and describe some basketball and talk about some basketball. Uh, but we'll do all of that coming up this week. So for Frank, I'm Eric. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We'll talk to you later.